Hello, everybody. This is the Two Pointers Podcast, a podcast where two childhood best friends, myself, Trevor, and my co-host, Josh, talk all things hoops. We'll analyze and debate news and what's happening in the world of basketball today. Welcome to today's episode of the Two Pointers Podcast. Today, Trevor and I are going to be going over some of the top stories in the NBA from the past week as we cover early season issues with the NBA in regards to COVID protocols. We're going to be looking back at the first game between Lonzo Ball and his brother LaMelo Ball when the Pelicans played the Hornets on Friday night and what I am coining as the Battle of the Balls. We're looking at rumors about Damian Lillard requesting for Portland to make a trade to improve the team. We're going to be looking at who are some of the early season legit title team contenders and who is the MVP through the first three weeks of the season. To start things out today, we're going to look at issues with the NBA's COVID protocols. And I think things with the NBA um, in regards to issues with COVID-19 really hit a high point with the 76ers only being able to play seven players on Saturday against the Denver Nuggets. So many players had to be ruled out whether it be from positive cases or from contact tracing. Um, the 76ers only had seven active roster members in order to play the game, with Tyrese Maxey being the best player they still had available um, the rookie. And, of course, the 76ers were not able to win the game against the Denver Nuggets, being left with only seven players and mostly without all of their starters. Trevor, did you? what did you think of that whole situation this weekend? If we're being completely honest, uh, holding the NBA accountable for their actions here, uh, their protocol, if I'm correct, is eight players eligible, uh, and the 76ers had seven. So why was this game any different? I feel like they should have stepped in and been responsible and rescheduled this. They allowed time at the end of the season to allow for that you know, extra if there's any postponements and reschedules, which we've already had that one with the Houston game on opening night. Uh, and obviously – we started taking notes and getting ready for this podcast on Saturday. And of course on Sunday, the 11th, the Celtics versus the heat get, get rescheduled for inconclusive test uh, on the heat. And obviously they didn't have eight eligible players due to that. Uh, so I just, I think they should have handled that game or this game, the 76ers Nuggets game the same way, but obviously we got to see a guy like Tyrese Maxey go crazy and score 39. He looked great. Uh, he was a, a lot of people who were high on him coming into the draft, that pick for Philly was big. Obviously, he came in. He's going to be able to contribute what they need off the bench. I think he's going to – obviously, this for him. Unfortunately, for the circumstance, it's – you hate for your rookie like that to just jump in and play 39, but he was – or play minutes like that and score 39, but he was ready. The opportunity was available, and I think they're going to – they obviously got him some good playing time moving forward, I think, with Doc Rivers in the rotation. Trevor, are you concerned moving forward for the rest of the season that the – like this past week, the whole situation has kind of shown that the NBA might not have as much control over trying to contain the virus to continue their season on? Uh, I'm concerned in the sense that I, if, if this gets any worse, I think it starts to get – like I think it gets pretty gray. Uh, and as, I'm the, I can't make this up. At, as we're recording this, Shams just tweeted, the Dallas Mavericks-New Orleans Pelicans game tonight has been postponed. So no further, I mean, you can't make this stuff up literally as we're recording this on Monday, it's going to be affected at live as we speak. So 
I think uh, that even my whole point needs to change at this point. I think that's gonna that's gonna keep happening. And obviously, they only allow th- it was like two and a half to three weeks at the end of the season prior to the playoffs to get those postponements in max. And I just think I see this getting worse. I, I don't. I'm not gonna be this apocalyptic. This isn't gonna happen. This can't, the season's gonna end. I just think they need to be better about this and be more conservative. And obviously, the players need to obviously continue to play their own part there and and do the right thing and wear the mask when they need to and, and travel efficiently and don't. You know, don't do anything you know egregious with contact tracing if they can. But yeah, this is concerning, and I think I think this could go south very quickly. Then again, this isn't an NFL podcast, but in the NFL we had that scare between week four and week seven. Granted, there's a week between most of the games, so I think it has the possibility of going downhill fast. Yeah, I was so through the first couple of weeks of the season, I thought the NBA was doing really well. I mean, there were some players being contact traced and they were out. There were some game postponements, but. Um, there was nothing that we saw that was just really um, dovetailing. And towards the end of this week, things really seemed to kind of trend downhill. You had um, the issue with the 76ers and not only having seven players, which they shouldn't have had to play the game. That's not enough players um, really to go forward. Um, you had the Boston Celtics being unable to um, have their game against the Miami Heat the other night. We had issues of COVID tracing that have ruled Kevin Durant out for several days, Bradley Beal, Jason Tatum, um, several stars of the league, just things rallying off a lot in the Eastern Conference. And as you said just now with the Mavericks and Pelicans game having to be postponed, I think we're starting to see things in the NBA similar more to issues that we've seen in college basketball so far this season where a lot of games have been canceled that where in college basketball a lot of times we're really not sure if the games would be played until um, a couple of days before because of COVID issues or contact tracing issues. Do you think there are any solutions the NBA should make to this? You talked about just um, people focusing on the protocols more seriously. Should the NBA take a break for a couple of weeks to get things under control? Do I think so? No, I, I think it's responsible if they do, but the issue is it comes down to what I was going to make this next point is that it comes down to preserving next season and any, any major delay and any pushback of any kind could put that in jeopardy. And obviously we've talked about on pod one about how that is the whole point of this year is to just get through this. Let's do the best we can be responsible as best we can and make it to the next year to preserve a full season with hopefully a fully vaccinated America and a fully able fan base we all obviously want to have that uh have that happen i think just an update on this too uh dallas does not have the eight eligible players was why that was postponed so and, and of course <clears throat> that just it comes down to we don't know i know they had an issue a couple days ago at work uh jalen brunson dorian finney smith and josh richardson uh, were three guys that were part of tracing i'm assuming this is tailing off of that but we obviously aren't going to now get to see Chris Tops for Zinga's debut. That was something we really, we were really looking forward to, especially against a really good Pelicans team. Um, but I do, I do, I don't see a, I don't see a cancellation in any, in any sense of the form. I see the NBA really wanting to push through this. They've, they've made it very clear. Adam Silver released a statement about two hours before recording this, where he was basically saying that we're trying to roll through this. We're going to do this the best we can moving into January or moving through January and into February. So I, I don't, I don't foresee this happening. And of course we, um, we absolutely hope for things to continue to get better and to improve. And um, hopefully the NBA can move through this, through this and all the players that are diagnosed with COVID-19 that um, the focus from the NBA would be on their health and safety to help them to recover before getting back to basketball. So this Friday night, we saw one of the more anticipated matchups that we had after coming out of the NBA draft, which was to see the Charlotte Hornets play the new Orleans Pelicans, which 
um, as much as two years ago, no one would have ever said was a highly anticipated matchup. The New Orleans Pelicans and Charlotte Hornets played on national TV is starting point guard for the Pelicans, Alonzo Ball, um, played against for the first time in his basketball career against his younger brother, LaMelo Ball, the backup point guard for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, what did you think of the game, Trevor? First of all, I'm going to say I was wrong, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. I've been saying for years since I've been a huge fan of them at Chino Hills High School in California uh, that I think Lonzo was going to be the best ball brother out of the three. I don't think that was – I think a lot of people thought that for a long time. That was before Lonzo became a Laker, and that opinion became even stronger. And on his second night, almost had the record for the triple-double as the youngest player to do so with 29-11 and nine assists. So he was very, 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 very close. And, of course – Hilariously, a couple years later, here his brother is breaking that record. Uh, as an avid Charlotte Hornets fan, and you've made that very clear, we've talked about it on multiple pods now. Uh, obviously, I want to hear your opinion. Uh, a couple things. Obviously, why the heck is he not starting? <laughs> and second of all, uh, obviously, he's right now he's minus 145 to win the rookie of the year. Obviously, I don't see that changing. Does he have to start for that to be a surefire thing? I'm going to go with the second question first and address the rookie of the year part. I think LaMelo Ball obviously started with the highest odds to win rookie of the year. Um, he came in with the biggest name recognition of anyone in the league. Um, I'd say no, he doesn't need to start um, to reach that. Because as of right now, he's playing starters minutes in Charlotte. He's just not starting. He's playing somewhere near 30 minutes a game, especially in the past um, couple of games in the rotation. Charlotte, as of right now, only plays three guards being Terry Rozier, Devontae Graham, and LaMelo also. LaMelo plays a high number of minutes because he's one of the only three guards they really have available in the lineup. As for why he's not starting, so Charlotte, it was a really complicated decision, I think, when Charlotte went in and took LaMelo Ball because going into the draft, um, guard or starting guard really wasn't a position that Charlotte needed to look at that much. They had Terry Rozier coming off of an incredible bounce-back season for his first year in Charlotte, and Devontae Graham being one of the most improved players in the NBA. And both of them were playing together and had a great um, starting and combo guard dynamic. LaMelo was drafted by Charlotte and a good decision because he was the best player on the board, obviously, when they were there picking at three. And I think that from the preseason, we saw Terry and Devontae play really well in the preseason. And LaMelo, of course, adjusting to NBA basketball for the first time in his life didn't adjust like immediately right out of the gate and wasn't having the best preseason play or the most consistent play early in the season. Now, however, I think in the past couple of games, specifically against New Orleans Friday night and then Atlanta Saturday night, breaking, like you said, the triple-double record, became the youngest player ever. He's just been absolutely incredible. I think at this point, especially with Devontae Graham's struggles early in the season. He's had a really hard time shooting the ball and is not shooting a great percentage. I think it's time for Charlotte to make that move and start LaMelo Ball opposite Terry Rozier. Yeah, I, I one thing I know, Rozier been, has been playing really well. Uh, he obviously had a 40-plus point night a couple of weeks ago, uh, shooting 10 threes, which obviously was an, you know a really close to a couple of records there. I know specifically one thing that I, I noticed with LaMelo uh, was he was the first uh, Hornet to do so to record a triple double off the bench, which obviously, like you said, I don't, I think the rookie of the year numbers, I, I think he's going to get it. I just, I think it's just a matter of how, by how much now at this point, but otherwise, yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm excited for you. I don't have much to say about the whole, you know, 
I, I, playing his brother was really neat as somebody who's been a fan of the whole family for a long time. I, I, I've been following them really, really heavily because I used to watch a lot more high school basketball than I do currently, having to keep up with the NBA more now. But <clears throat> them, those Chino Hill days were days were fun, man. Lonzo and Lamelo passing to each other, just it, it was un- all the cherry picking was crazy. Don't get me wrong, all that cherry picking, but Lamelo is very quickly proving me wrong as the best ball brother. And I think he's going to continue to be a star. My last point was just, I think he's been prepared for this moment for a long time being in the spotlight. He even said himself, he's like, I've had ESPN games before. It was no sweat playing against my brother like that. Uh, I was really, I really admired his, his willingness to be a mix, admit the, the team aspect of, of the win too, because he was, he's always been a guy that seemed not selfish, but in a sense that he's got that attitude that he's, he knows he's the best player. He knows he's a great player. He knows he's good in the spotlight. And he, he raved about the team win. He raved about how the, it was a good team win against this, against the Pelicans. So I do really admire that part of his, uh, a part of his development, as well as the fact that he's obviously got the experience overseas. And I think James Brego's just got to start putting him into the, or Coach Brego's got to be able to get, get him into the starting rotation a little bit more, but he doesn't have to. Like, I, I agree with you in that sense. Yeah, I think, I mean, I love everything about Lamelo um, with the team. I think he's been a great teammate. All of the guys seem to really like him. Obviously, I've watched a lot of Hornets games this season um, following the team. And when the Hornets have struggled with their starting lineup, which is often at the beginning of the games because they had a tendency to fall behind at the start of the games like they did against the Pelicans on Friday night, they fell behind. We're down by 18 at one point and really had to push back through the um, second half. LaMelo Ball has been put into the game for Charlotte when we're down, and he's always providing a spark, whether or not he's scoring or passing or whether or not it's doing anything that shows up on the stat sheet. When he's in the game, he provides a spark to the offense, and the team seems to do better. One other thing I will say in the defense for if LaMelo remains on the bench, part of it may be with the unit that he's playing with there, because so far this season, LaMelo Ball has shown just an incredible chemistry with Miles Bridges, who's the other player for Charlotte who leads the bench unit at the small forward spot. And the two of them really seem to love playing together. They have an exceptional chemistry of knowing where the other is at any given time. And if I were Charlotte, I definitely wouldn't want to mess up having LaMelo and Miles on the court at the same time as much as they currently are. I wouldn't want to change that that much because there's something there that's really working well. Awesome. Uh, I think we're going to – I don't have anything else to say about it, so I think we're going to move on. Uh, I'm excited for you, like I said, as a Charlotte Hornets fan, as the fact that my whole life I've never really had a Charlotte Hornets team that I could – being from North Carolina, of course, growing up a Lakers fan, I've never been able to go, wow, this Hornets team, right? And this is the most excited I've been about them. And I was very clear in our opening pod that I really like some of the draft picks with Nick Richards and Vernon Carey and obviously Lamelo, he's best player available, like you said. It's exciting for Charlotte to have a guy like that. So uh, moving on to the third topic here today, the rumors that came out from CB- I, CBS Sports is where I saw it first. I know it was covered by a lot of smaller reporters but but i i definitely saw it on cbs sports first but lillard pushing for draymond green trades to the blazers uh, what are your thoughts on that and do you have any possible packages maybe like what how it's going to work no i don't have any possible packages because i just really don't think it's all that great of an idea out of portland draymond green has the potential a lot of times to be a really exceptional defender but from a portland perspective i just to me, it's just not something that seems like a fit, um, bringing, trying to trade for a guy like Draymond, because for Portland to do it, I mean, if you're Portland, you're not going to, I mean, you're obviously not going to include Damian Lillard because that's the centerpiece of your team. You don't want to include CJ McCollum because that's your second best scoring option. And after that, Portland has a lot of really good young talent and guys like Zach Collins, 
Um, Nasir Little has been playing well, um, played well in his rookie season based on the spot he was drafted in. Um, and you just have a, and Gary Trent Jr., you have a lot of guys in Portland that um, are some quality young talent that I just wouldn't see the need for Portland to try to trade those guys away and what they're trying to build. I also just don't think with a guy like Draymond who really loves the city he's currently in, um, I can't imagine that his reaction to being traded away from Golden State would leave him with a great like perspective going into a new team. He is a guy who really loves the city that drafted him and wants to stay there. And I just think that it's probably not a great fit for Portland to pursue that trade. So Lillard obviously wants a defensive player. He obviously wants somebody to help their unit. And I, he may have a relationship with Draymond that we don't know about. But I want to give you a, just a who, a who says no scenario that I did look into with the NBA trade machine. Shout out to the trade machine. Which, by the way, before I even say this, I think this is this is obviously the only trade rumor of any kind for, for about the first three weeks of the season. The hard, hard rumors have almost completely disappeared. And I think that's – I think it's a calm before the storm type moment. This is going to hold the NBA fans over for in terms of trade rumors because it first of all, it was random. It was completely out of the blue. I didn't see it coming whatsoever. And I think this is, like I said, just it's more of Lillard. It's more of a superstar player in this case wanting an improvement for their team, even though I think their team's good. Like you, I agree with you in the sense they've got so much young talent uh, with Anthony Simons and Gary Trent Jr. and Zach Collins. I just don't see any of those pieces. Like That's why I want to ask you this who says no scenario. Portland calls and they're like, CJ McCollum for Draymond Green. And however the money needs to work, obviously, like they have a couple, both teams have a couple trade exceptions. So basically, CJ for Draymond straight up. Who says no? Portland says no. It's a win now move for both. That's the only reason I, I guess, I would ask. So I, I, it's, it's a the Warriors obviously with the loss of Clay. I think that's just it's something. Do, do both teams even consider it? With Portland, CJ McCollum's your number two scorer. I think that you make a massive hit to the offense, and you're putting a whole lot more pressure on Damian Lillard if you make that move. Um, Portland, I wouldn't consider C.J. McCollum a guy you should be trying to trade if you're trying to make a run that right now, getting rid of McCollum, unless it's in a trade for a guy who's a recent all-star um, and you're trying to package that through. But, yeah, I don't see that as a good idea for Portland. It would be great for Golden State. One more question. What's more likely come trade deadline in March, that Draymond Green is a Portland Trailblazer or that James Harden is a Portland Trailblazer? I think James Harden being in anything else is more likely. Come March, being in anything but a Houston Rocket is more likely than him remaining a Houston Rocket come March. I love how we've turned this into somehow, like at least <laughs> mentioning Harden in some form because it has something to do with the word trade. But I will say this he does look engaged. I know we're not talking about Lillard anymore at this point, but Harden looks super engaged. I was watching the Lakers Rockets highlights uh, earlier before recording. Man, Harden looks so engaged with that team. I think him and Wall like get along well. And I'm like scared because, like, I, Houston really like if they want to go into full rebuild mode or at least try to get a better pick or try to get value for Harden who doesn't technically want to play there. I, I'm just surprised. This this is going to be a very interesting trade deadline and we'll continue to keep everyone updated on that as, as something happens. So the next thing we're going to move into, we're going to talk about a couple of surprise teams who um, I think Trevor and I both thought that they would be good teams. They'd be probably playoff teams when we came into the season. But so far, they're having incredible seasons to start and are at the tops of their respective conferences. And we're going to talk about teams that are crazy, legit title contenders. Trevor, what team did you have that you thought has really broken out into being a legit title contender this year? So for those of you that listened to pod number one, we both had my team here that I'm about to go through. Uh, we had them both in the playoffs. Very unfortunately, we had them at seven. Yep, we had them pretty low. Uh, 
as Josh shows me the seven rank here, holding up his fingers. I, I had them a seven as well. We had them very low and I now am completely eating my words, but I'm going to back them up for this reason. And this reason only Sabonis is a bona fide superstar or star could be a superstar very soon. He obviously was an all-star last year for the first time, him and Oladipo running the dribble handoff and the pick and roll really, really well as a team overall. Now it's, I will say there's multiple things, but just Sabonis is the reason that they're continuing to be a good team and continuing to dominate uh, when they do uh, play really well as a team. They right now uh, are fifth in point differential with 5.1 points, which is that's it's a top 10, top five playoff type team in my eyes. Any, any positive point differential like that is shows the team is really good on both ends of the floor. Uh, they are led in great team defense by four blocks per game by Miles Turner, which has been a trade talk candidate for what feels like almost two years now. And obviously, the stuff with Gordon Hayward possibly going to Charlotte or going to Indiana the with Miles Turner being caught, talked in this package. Is, I think it's a really, really big deal that they're playing this well. We both had them at a point where they weren't going to play. You know, I don't think they were going to scare anybody in the playoffs. Uh, and I can't talk about the Pacers again, first of all, without, or second of all, without saying that they're averaging, they're getting 23 and seven and 1.8 steals a game out of Malcolm Brogdon. Malcolm Brogdon might be the new Pacers all-star on that team outside of Sabonis. It looks really good. And I think that this team is going to be really good. I think they're continuing, they're going to keep this up, barring health and, you know, health and whatnot and any kind of crazy COVID stuff going on. With the absence of CJ Warren, I think if they can get him back, he's out indefinitely, but. I think if they get him back late in the season, maybe early into the playoffs, it is a recoverable injury. I think they're going to be really good and they're going to scare a team and maybe make a heat similar to what the heat did last year in some crazy four seed, five seed run. Uh, do you see the Pacers as a legit title team? So with Indiana, what shocks me early the season, that isn't what I expected. Cause I thought they would be a playoff team, but I expected the same Pacers I've seen for the last three or four years, a team that, Struggles sometimes at the offensive end, but is able to be kind of boosted up by Victor Oladipo, but has just incredible defense to shut teams down. They're still putting together pretty good defense, but what shocks me is just the incredible offensive performances that Indiana's been putting up for these first nine games. I was looking at the stat line, and if including T.J. Warren, who's out injured right now, if you include the numbers that he put up through his first four games, there are seven players on the Indiana roster averaging double-figure points right now. Seven. Malcolm Brogdon, Damanis Sabonis, Victor Oladipo, TJ Warren, Miles Turner, Justin Holiday, and Doug McDermott are all averaging in double figures for the Indiana Pacers so far this season. It, I mean, to, to be clear, I mean, obviously I didn't see that coming from an offensive perspective for Indiana. I thought that um, with the defense they had, they were going to make the playoffs, but their ceiling wasn't much further than maybe the second round of the playoffs. If Indiana can continue to produce on offense and tighten up their defense a little bit more, because I know that they can, from past performances, play better defense even than what they're playing right now. If they can tighten up the defense and continue to push in the offense in that regard, yes, I think you could look at them as a team to make a run like Miami did there. But again, we're sitting in a situation where we're talking about a team that's played nine games. Things, I mean, we have teams that make runs like this early in the season a lot of times, and things start to even out. But like I said, if they keep up the offensive performance, which I think they've been overperforming a bit, but if they keep it up, yeah, absolutely. I think that they could contend in the East, especially because with Brooklyn's early problems and not going on what's going on with Boston and Philadelphia, 
I mean, anybody really could make a run to win it in the East right now, I think. Yeah, this is the best the East has looked at a long time, really, honestly, in our lifetime. But uh, I will say, I was going to bring up the standings here just as like a, you know, haha, let's see who they'd play in first round to see if they'd make it to the second round pretty handedly. Uh, if the season were to end right now, they'd be playing the five and five New York Knicks in the first round. So I don't think my question or my hypothetical here is a good example, but let's say, let's say they finish as a top four seed and they play a Nets team, maybe that at five, because they had some injuries or like a, you know, do, do they take the Nets to seven? Do they, do they beat the Nets in the first round in a, in a series like that? Where, like they did against, or like they held Cleveland uh, to that seven games a couple years ago with LeBron. Do they, do they scare the Nets? I guess would be my first question. If the Brooklyn Nets were to finish as a five seed and they have both Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant healthy heading into the playoffs, I really feel bad for the unfortunate team that finished in fourth place. <laughs> Because I think the Nets are a team that with, at times, like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to rest, and the Nets aren't going to have that best regular season record necessarily. When they get to the playoffs, they're going to be the Nets at full strength. And right now, I would say no in the Indiana side of that. I think Brooklyn, the Brooklyn we saw in those first two games, Brooklyn completely healthy and at full strength is going to be hard to beat. All right. And one more, two more hypotheticals uh, of two teams I think they match up really well against. Do they... Do they beat Boston in a seven-game series, fully healthy, both teams? I mean, maybe. I think it – I mean, it comes back to what I said again. Like, it's going to be on whether or not – if they tighten up the defense and play the defense that they've been playing the past three or so years, which these are – I mean, it's – I'm talking about the same players here. It's not like I'm talking about a different Indiana team. These are mostly the same guys that were there last year that had this incredible defense. If they tighten that up and they continue to score at the level they are – I mean, it'd be hard to beat them. It's just right now I'm not sure whether that scoring is going to keep coming at that same number and if they're going to start to restrict the points more to get back to where they were in that regard. And then the last one, because I think they match up really well with them, I think is the one that is the most likely, is I know Philadelphia has looked really good, obviously, from having outside shooters and they're playing well as a team. But I think the Pacers matchup-wise are a really good matchup for them. Uh, I, I Does that – do you see that one as something – I know it's a similar example or similar answer to the question, but is that – do you think that's the one that they could scare the most? I'm not sure. I don't really – I think we're really early in the season to be looking at these things and to really know what these teams have. Before the issues that Philadelphia had with players being ruled out and being unable to play, I thought Philadelphia looked better than anybody I've seen in the NBA. Um, Embiid was playing incredibly there. Three-point shooting they brought in has – really helped them a lot. And I think Philadelphia looks great. I like a healthy Philadelphia team a lot to make a good run in the playoffs. Awesome. Yeah. I, I again, uh, first couple of weeks overreaction galore when it comes to how sports or how the NBA is covered, but I think they're gonna be a fun team. I'm excited to look uh, at, to, to look forward to see how, how this conversation sounds, whether it be really bad or really good uh, come towards the end of the playoff or towards the playoffs. Uh, who is your surprise team? And let's see. Let me see what I think after your uh, after you run run through them. Okay, so the team I'm looking at is out in the Western Conference. So looking at it as of today, they are seven and three and in second place in the West, sandwiched between the two Los Angeles teams. The Phoenix Suns have looked incredible to start this year and to end last year. Honestly, the Phoenix Suns finished last year on an incredible run in the bubble barely missed making the playoffs um, in a move that people just didn't expect to see. The Suns have an even better point differential right now than the Pacers that we talked about earlier. They're at plus 6.2, which is the second highest in the Western Conference behind the Lakers. 
So they not only are winning these games, they look great doing it. They're not, it's not a fluke right now. I don't see with the Suns. I think that the Suns honestly could make a run to be one of the top four seeds in the Western Conference when you get to the playoff time. Chris Paul has just been an incredible addition for Phoenix. He's making the team better around him. Devin Booker's continuing to play well. DeAndre Ayton looks great. And the big breakout star, Michael Bridges, looks amazing for Phoenix. He's absolutely been, I think, their MVP through the start of the year. He's averaging 15 points, five rebounds in 33 minutes of playing time. He's adding so much more to the team that I don't know if anyone expected him to break out and have this incredible start to the year. So I think Phoenix looks great. They look like an absolute playoff contender to me. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I. this is awesome for me because I, out of the two of us, I had Phoenix at five day in the year. So I, and it sounded like some crazy jump, obviously prior to any games being played, but looking back on it now, I'm really happy to say so. The, I hope that you're right. I hope they finish as a top four, top five seed in the West uh, because then I'd be like, yes, right? But the I will say the thing about Bridges is on draft night, if I remember correctly, he's traded in a lot, you know, for Philadelphia. And a lot of people were surprised by that. A lot of people were like, why would Phoenix make a move like that? They really liked him. And obviously I think they were right. Uh, he's averaging a lot of minutes for them, which is, I don't know if that's sustainable necessarily going into playoffs, but like if he can continue to play good defense uh, at the wing position and also just continue to average about where he's at and be a really good contributing spark plug for them. I think, yeah, I think they're going to be or continue to be a good team. Chris Paul, obviously continuing to prove that he's going to finish as a top five point guard all time championship or not. I think that championship propels a lot of people's list. If he can get one, uh, do I think, do I think it's in Phoenix? No, but I think Chris Paul is continuing to prove that he is going to out help outperform any team he goes to at this rate in his career. I've always been a huge fan of Chris Paul. I think they're going to be really, really fun, and they're they're going to be a really scary matchup for for a couple of these Western teams. As of right now, not too bad being sandwiched at two between L.A. and L.A. Uh, as they've always kind of been that that third or that fourth team in that division that's always been never been like the top dog. And I think this is their time to shine if they get a really nice favorable matchup in the round one. Okay. I've got a question for you. Being a Lakers fan that you are and the team currently doing really well, they look great about what we would have expected eight and three. Would you be worried or afraid about the Lakers having to play the Suns in the playoffs facing the Suns in the playoff series? No, I don't, and I only think so because of matchup purposes, and this is no bias whatsoever. I told you I would try my hardest unless, obviously, you know, it comes down to MVP talks, similar to how the rookie of the year talks were earlier. Uh, I try to be – I will try my best to be as unbiased as possible, but no, and I think so because of the fact that I don't think Phoenix uh, at the four and the five are going to be able to contain the Lakers' death a little bit. I know they have a couple of good pieces. Aiton's not a stellar defender, and I just don't see him stopping Anthony Davis. I think that series is competitive. I think it maybe goes to six. Uh, that that would be my prediction, like, if that came down to it in season ends right now. I think it's 4-2, only because of the matchup purpose. I think there's a lot more teams that are going to scare the Lakers, but I think the Suns could do it. I just don't, for matchup reasons, I don't, I'm not as worried about some other, compared to some other teams. Okay. And the next question, since we're talking about title contenders, the Lakers being, of course, still now the favorite to win the title this year to go back to back. They were the favorite last year. I mean, they were the favorite going into the year. They're going to be the favorite now. And until we see something different from somebody, it's going to continue that way. Who are you most worried about in the Western Conference the Lakers having to play? 
put me on the spot here. I like it. No, I've been prepared for this question. Uh, the Clippers, obviously, I think are going to be number one for me. I last year was very, very adamant about. I don't think they. I, I don't think they were going to make the finals. A lot of people were like, "Ah, the Clippers, the Clippers, the Clippers." Right? That team's chemistry was horrible last year. This year, they look awesome. The team chemistry looks great. Yes, they've had some awful, awful blowouts, including a fifty-point loss to the Mavericks. But with a with a load management thing with Kawhi, he's going to play. 70% of the games, they're going to lose some games. They're not going to finish. They're going to finish in the top four. They're just not going to be the overall number one seed probably by the end of the year. They're going to, they're a good team. They're a great team. They're able to play well together. A lot of their pieces that they brought in Serge Ibaka and Nicholas Batum, a lot of guys who we had maybe kind of written off a little bit uh, in the past, going to a title contender like that and getting their, that team chemistry together, bringing in that locker room presence. They're a good team. They're going to be my scary one. Another one that kind of, Maybe not not necessarily at a left field here, but Utah. If Utah can continue to play the way they do, obviously they're a stellar defensive team. And obviously having Rudy Gobert, who just got the biggest bag of any Utah player in his in their team's history, obviously you had to pay for him to keep him, and they did. They spent two hundred and four million dollars on him, and deservingly so. He's he's one defensive player of the year. He's a guy that could really scare that you know the Lakers in, in the first or second round. Uh, obviously Donovan Mitchell is a star. Our backcourt is not exactly the the greatest backcourt ever. Uh, so Donovan Mitchell, I think, could average 30 easily and, and give us a really good scare. I think Utah scares me just as much as LA, the other side of LA does. Moving on to our final topic today, we're going to run through the MVP candidates through the first couple of weeks of the season. Uh, before we give our personal ones, I do want to run through just what the odds look like, uh, courtesy of DraftKings, no sponsor there. Luka Doncic, Doncic is currently plus 400 at this moment of recording on January 11th. I, I still think he's in the front running. I, we, we've talked about that uh, in our opening pod. We made it very clear. We think Lucas, the MVP, barring any major injury, he looked really good the last couple of nights. He basically single-handedly beat the Nuggets. Uh, and obviously we mentioned how Kristaps is coming back is going to be really big for them. Uh, he's currently the favorite, and I don't think that changes. Giannis right behind him at plus 450. Kevin Durant at plus 800. Prior to the season, Kevin Durant was plus 1,300. A lot of people, I think, after the first night moved on that number. No shock to see he's fallen that far, uh, that close into the favorite realm. Uh, Joel Embiid at plus 1,000 is actually really – that one shocked me. I had no clue before I opened these rankings or opened these odds up. I, I had no clue he was going to be that high. Uh, LeBron at plus 1,200. Uh, Jokic at plus 1,200. Steph Curry at plus 1,400, and Anthony Davis at plus 1,500. Two shockers just outside. I did the top eight just so we didn't drag on 15 minutes about the odds here. But uh, just outside, Damon Lillard at plus 1,600, and Jason Tatum at plus 2,000. Obviously, if the Celtics finish top four seed and he averages something crazy and he, they, they finish really high, that kind of that's a random, weird, dark horse. That, that's, uh, that's interesting. Uh, who do you have as your MVP candidate through week three to four here? Okay, so when we were doing our preseason stuff, I was completely adamant and confident that a really incredible scorer and passer, passer um, that came out of Eastern Europe playing for a Western Conference team was going to be our MVP this season. And so I guess I was right because I think that the most likely one is Nikola Jokic <laughs> and not Luka Doncic. But, um, I mean, through the first 10 games, I think Nikola Jokic is definitely like he has to be the best player we've seen. Um the reason that maybe I don't think that Jokic is necessarily going to win the MVP by season in, season's end has more to do with struggles Denver has had so far this season or the fact that Jokic's numbers through these first 10 games are so improved over what he's done in the past that it 
makes you wonder whether he's actually going to be able to sustain that or not. But so far, Nikola Jokic is averaging a triple-double through 10 games. He has recorded, I believe, um, it's four or five triple-doubles of his um, 10 games. He's averaging 24 points per game, which would be a career high by four. So four points higher than any career high he's had in a season for a, in the past. Um, 11.2 rebounds and 10.4 assists. And the thing that makes me think that he's really playing out of his mind is he's currently shooting 43% from behind the arc. The last two seasons in which Nikola Jokic has been an all-star, he shot 30% and 31% respectively from behind the arc, and he's currently shooting 43% through 10 games. That might be a big reason as to why Nikola Jokic is playing so incredibly well, because his shooting is out of this world right now. I just don't, that number is so incredibly higher than what he's done before. We usually don't see guys' numbers shoot that much up over one season. So I don't think he's going to necessarily sustain that. But if Nikola Jokic is the first big man ever to average a triple-double and doing so with like passing the ball as well as he does um, for a six-foot-11 power forward center, whatever you want to call him position-wise, if Denver's in the playoffs, like that has to be your MVP. Yeah, he's – I still think Luka, if he continues just at this pace, I think obviously we mentioned just a few moments ago, just very early season here, like some of it's overreaction, some of it's not, but this seems so sustainable in the sense that like this is the best season he's ever had. This is what I would call his peak season or his his apex mountain season so far. Do I think he can continue to get better? Absolutely. He's only 25. He's not even his prime yet. Uh, he's he's te- the by which I think the prime age is, by the way, Completely, our kid be thrown out the window. This twenty-eight to thirty-two that we've forever thought was the prime. Like I think, as modern medicine gets better, and as guys like him start to show that they can be perennial all stars at twenty-three, twenty-four, and twenty-five, and even Lucas' case, nineteen and twenty and twenty-one, I, I think that the whole prime thing's out the window here. That forty percent number scares me a little bit. Forty-three percent from Mark from the arc. I, I don't think it necessarily <laughs> finishes above forty. I, I also think this assist per game right now. Harden's actually averaging more assists per game than him but i you mentioned prior on episode one that you think he'd finish it was at number one you said in first in assist per game i think he'll finish top five in the nba i countered with i think he'll finish in top in total assists and right now he's got 104 the next closest guy being lebron and chris paul have 85 and i think if that even if that just window of almost 20 there stays I think he does finish number one. I think he's going to still finish number one in total assists. I just don't think with Westbrook, you know, as of recording this, get, uh, having an injury with a quad <clears throat> and being out another week, as well as some other guys who just aren't going to maybe sustain that necessarily in terms of total volume. I think LeBron will be pretty close in Chris Paul. I think it'll stay those top three probably most of the season. But, yeah, if Jokic can continue what he's doing, they're going to be – we talked about on the pod when we both have them in the top three in the West. It, it, they're going to be good. They're going to be just like they were last year. Murray's going to start taking over the ball more. And, obviously, having a guy like Jokic, they're, they're going to be a team that they're going to be unstoppable come playoff time. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Um, I was a big fan of Nikola Jokic over the past couple of years. I've loved um, – his versatile ability, especially to pass the ball. He's such an offensive minded big man and versatile in that realm. I think he's changing how we see what big men can do in the NBA. Cause I don't think we've ever seen a guy at six eleven pass the ball. Like he passes the ball. I mean, we've seen guys at his size, being able to handle and score. Well, obviously Giannis is an incredible example of a guy who has so much more scoring acumen and ability to run the ball up court as a size, but um, for someone who can pass the ball and essentially, I mean, Nikola Jokic can essentially play point guard in Denver um, when Jamal Murray is not in the game. 
with his abilities. I think he's just changed the way we see what we should look for and what a big man can do. So, Trevor, who do you have as your MVP contender? Um, before I do that, I do want to mention just in the sense that we've talked about Luca and we've talked about Nikola Jokic and also Giannis obviously being the two-time defending MVP. Uh, it It is something to, to point out that international basketball has, I think, continued to propel over the last 10 years. Just looking at this, four out of the top eight currently at – you know, at January on January 11th of this season, four of the top eight guys in this odds list are for not from the United States. So I think that's really awesome for Europe and also you know Africa in this case and Greece as well. But it's awesome for just international basketball as a whole to see these guys uh, translate in, into being top perennial stars. Uh, I, however, have an American at <laughs> as my guy. Uh, I think it's really kind of unfortunate though because it, it seems like especially with his COVID tracing issues that he's had, where he had to quarantine for four games. If he has that happen again, I, I think the numbers are going to speak for themselves, but we're going to look back at, a res, at the resume and see Kevin Durant missing possibly multiple games, up to 10 games throughout the year. If this, if something like this happens again, I think the MVP is going to be such a, such a up in the air award. It's going to come down to whoever the, the clear, just whoever played the most favorite. I've got Kevin Durant so far right now, uh, solely because he is the best player on his team. He is an anomaly in terms of the Achilles injury, he's coming back and he's been the first guy to really, to really break that mold as the Achilles is an in, insufferable in, in injury where you can't come back from it. But he's averaging almost 30 points a game right now, 7.6 rebounds and 4.7 assists. He's the best player on his team. Him and Kyrie have good chemistry. That team's going to continue to be good. We both had him finish in the top four. I think they're going to still finish in the top four, minus any kind of crazy, like I said, COVID issues. Kyrie being out for some personal reasons is unfortunate for them. Hopefully everything works out with him. Uh, if they can get Spencer Dinwiddie back, KD can continue to lead the front, the, the first unit. He's going to he's gonna be scary with, like I said, coming into the season at plus 1,300. Like, I, don't, I think it's solely because of the injury, and now he's obviously the third favorite. So I've got KD as much as as much as I can for this moment through three to four weeks. Yeah, I think I was really impressed by the way KD played when he started early in the season. And like you said, it's really unfortunate that he hasn't been able to play um, in the past few games. Um, and we hope he's doing well health-wise and that we'll see him back on the basketball court soon. Um, I think with a guy like Kevin Durant, so like we know that for the MVP award and all these awards, they're voted on by sports writers. They're voted on and awarded by sports writers who have these votes to decide who the best player was. And with a guy like Kevin Durant, if he were to have this incredible season and be one of those top players, it's an incredible story coming off the Achilles injury for him to um, work extremely hard to battle back and come back at the top of his game. I think that a lot of sports writers are going to really want to vote for Kevin Durant. Because it's, I mean, it's a natural thing that all of us, um, like as humans, we love seeing this incredible comeback story and we want to root for the guy. We want to root for him um, really to get back to that peak. We hate when athletes are hurt and we just want to see them play at the top level. And we're going to want to vote for and root for KD to reach that point. So I think definitely if he continues to have an incredible season, he's going to get a lot of votes for MVP down the stretch. But I think the biggest threat to that, like you said, is if he misses too many games. There's only 72 games in the season, um, and I can't see, like, if a guy doesn't play at least 55 of the 72 games, I can't see um, a guy that's not playing at least those 55 games getting a lot of votes or being considered in that MVP conversation, the same way that Kawhi Leonard was never really um, talked about for MVP the past couple of years because he would always – he would rest games. He's not trying to win the MVP. He's 
been very clear about that. He cares about winning championships, which you should. Um, but when these guys are wrestling games, they're not getting as many votes. With the MVP too, like we've we've talked about the MVP multiple times now, uh, and this very early on in our podcasting time. The storyline's always a big deal. It's always a storyline. Obviously, Russell Westbrook won it as a fifth or sixth seed that year. And obviously, granted, he averaged a triple-double. Don't get me wrong. I, I would have voted for him, too, if I had a vote. But I I think the storyline is going to be interesting this year because you've got multiple storylines. You've got the – you know, Giannis obviously won the storyline vote for the fact that he go back-to-back and his first one, you know, being an international player. There's a lot going for him in terms of just best player, best team. He was best player, best team, you know, for most of his MVP votes. But uh, Luka being – the media – talk about the media having a vote. The media loves Luka Doncic. I mean, we do, too. Hey, they yeah, absolutely do. love him. We love Luka, and and so does the media, and I think he's going to get a lot of votes. Kevin Durant's going to have to fight that – and. And I think that it comes down to like similar to what we talked about with Lamelo. It's going to come down to it's, it's somewhat of a popularity contest for the MVP sake. It is more of a storyline, like you mentioned, Kevin Durant's storyline with the Achilles. Can it be stronger if he finishes above thirty points a game, or has a really you know maybe one more stat line that kind of goes great? Maybe averages a double double with rebounds. Is something going to propel him over that Luka Doncic Doncic story? I don't know. I, I, the Jokic thing is interesting. If he, for some reason, it still averages a triple-double as a big man, I think that's going to be the largest storyline. It's going to really come down to who's got the biggest storyline. You're correct in that point, and uh, it's going to be exciting. It's going to come down to we've got a couple guys. We thought Lillard was kind of a dark horse, and he still kind of is, plus 1,600. They've got to finish top four in the West for that to be possible, uh, and he's got to average 30. I, I, he's still very, very outside of that top eight to me, but yeah, I think it's going to come down to those three storylines for sure. It's going to be really fun to watch. Awesome. Well, hey, this was fun. Again, third episode here recording for with the Two Porters podcast. Uh, it's been an awesome ride so far. I do want to, first of all, before I swing it to you to finish this out here, I do want to say thank you to everybody who's listened. It's been really awesome to, as of recording this, 95 downloads. We're that close to 100 in three episodes. I really wanted to hit the 100 mark prior to episode three or just after episode three. But hey, as we're recording this, when this, when this next episode goes up, either Tuesday or Wednesday, the 12th and 13th, we'll have that 100 downloads, and we appreciate every one of them. Uh, if you could continue to five-star us, uh, just push it up, the algorithm. It helps us out tremendously. Obviously, we appreciate everything, everybody listening, because it <clears throat> we, we care that people care about our opinion, and we're going to continue to do our best to keep updated uh, over the next couple of weeks. There's some really intriguing storylines uh, that we didn't cover and that I think are going to be covered eventually. Uh, obviously to a couple of anniversaries of some very unfortunate events are coming up as well. We're going to have a special one uh, on the 26th covering that. And uh, we'll talk about that later, but I just wanted to say, thank you. Continue to subscribe and five stars. Anything you have to say, Josh? Yeah. Thank you everyone. Um, like, and subscribe, leave the five star review, um, comment feedback, give us feedback on to what you think of the podcast so far. What do you think we could do better? What would you like to hear us talk about um, more? We want to um, continue to improve this podcast like Trevor said with this is the only the third episode we've done this we're not experts by any degree we're very new to this but yeah give us feedback we want to make this better for the people listening to it make it something enjoyable for you to listen to and come hear our interesting opinions <laughs> on the nba yeah thank you guys for listening i'm josh and that's my co-host trevor and we will see you next week see ya